Welcome to Insights for Manufacturing, the podcast that supports the UK manufacturing sector. Hosted by Jeff Beecham, the manufacturer's recruiter. Hello and welcome to another episode of Insights for Manufacturing. Today, I'm joined uh, by Hilary Levers, who is the CEO at Engineering UK. We're going to be focusing on STEM and future talent. So welcome to the show, Hilary, and please you could join me today. Hi, Jeff. Thanks ever so much for inviting me along. You're very welcome. So straight off the bat, how, how can leaders get involved to support the development of more engineers into the sector? Yeah, there are, so there are many, many options. And I would really hope that from all of these, there's a way that all employers can see how they can make a contribution. Um, it could be as simple as reaching out to your local sp- schools and seeing what support they would appreciate. Maybe that they're looking for careers, role models or support with a STEM careers fair or prize day or something like that. Um, and if you're working with local secondary schools, actually lots of them are always looking for work experience and anything you can do in that sector would be fantastic. Lots of employers use the STEM ambassador scheme to help yeah. their employees just with a little bit of basic training and with the checks that they need before going into schools. But there are honestly hundreds of ways in which employers could join other organisations in in what they're doing. And I can tell you more about what we're doing at Engineering UK later. So there's all the engagement side of things to make sure that young people understand what engineering is and what a career in manufacturing would look like, because we know they've got some really outdated misconceptions. Um, But then there are kind of some more practical things about strengthening the education system and giving young people educational opportunities. So those might be work placements for T-levels or recruiting apprenticeships or um, even like getting involved in your local schools or colleges as a governor. So if if you're interested in supporting schools, there are loads of different ways. I would just encourage you to start exploring them. Yeah, and uh, it sounds like a, a goldmine of opportunity. Um, I suppose time is is one of the things that individuals or, or businesses, uh, you know, probably may use as a, not necessarily an excuse, but, a you know, a mitigating factor as to, you know, why they're, why they're not doing more or maybe. It seems to me, Hilary, that there, you know, there, there's a, a sort of imbalance between large businesses and SMEs when it comes to apprenticeship intake uh, some of those are for obvious reasons I, I guess you know the large businesses do have an advantage um, you know they've got big budgets for for branding marketing and you know it's sometimes it's it's easy for certain organizations to you know draw uh, you know draw people in and uh, attract people but you know resources when it comes to SMEs is, is a totally different thing so what 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 do you what do you see as the you know the main difficulties for SMEs when you know manufacturing and engineering businesses are they're all competing for the same talent aren't they? Yeah, so the kind of there's lots of aspects to that question, and actually um, I should come back to you because we will have more answers in due course because we're, at the moment we're running an inquiry with Lord Willits and yep. Lord Knight looking into apprenticeships in engineering and manufacturing and we'll get more of an insight into um, how they're distributed across SMEs and larger organisations. At the same time we've also done a piece of work with support from the ERA Foundation 
and uh, working alongside the careers and enterprise company where we've brought together focus groups of SMEs to really understand the challenges that they have in engaging with schools and that and includes um, the provision of apprenticeships. Okay. And you're quite right. A lot of it is as simple as, you know, the smaller the organization, kind of the less critical mass you have to create the additional resource that is needed for schools outreach or to support the apprenticeships. And also I think the smaller you are, the harder it is to engage in longer term skills planning for yeah. apprenticeships in particular. So you might still be able to go and do a bit of schools outreach, but actually the organizations that can say, you know, we need a um, hundred new people entering the workforce of this level of skills at this point in the future and actually plan backwards and say, so we should be aiming to recruit the apprenticeships now for that longer demand that we know will be coming. Mm. I think it's much harder for SMEs to be able to plan that and, and get, you know, the benefit of scale. That said, I do think anything that we can do to raise the visibility of SMEs with young people is really important because they make up over 99% of organisations in engineering and manufacturing and yep. actually employ 43% of the workforce. So they're really substantive um, part of the sector. And if you think of all those employment opportunities, but when young people think about careers and manufacturing, they are probably thinking of the big brands because they've never really heard about those SMEs. And they're often very exciting because they inherently, all the startups will have started as yeah. an SME at some point, even if they've grown beyond that. And so it's where all the cutting edge stuff will be going and there's just got, you know, they've got a different feel to them and they may be a better fit for young people who, as some of them might just not be attracted to the big brand, it feels a bit corporate and such like. So yes. um, I think anything we can do to support SMEs, we take that step into working with schools. And I would say actually start with a small step and build your comfort and your knowledge and and see the the how great it feels actually working with young people. And then you could try and do more, either having a program or supporting with apprenticeships. Yeah. And the other thing, sorry, the other thing that actually you do find a lot of those big organizations are supporting SMEs in their supply chain. And actually, if you are an SRE and you're struggling to quite get your capacity going or you want to draw down some more of the levy, that can be passed through yes. as well. And so actually looking up to the, the large organisations that you have those relationships with might be another way to get started. Absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing that. And um, I'd, would it be fair to say that you know, some apprenticeships, you know, they, they, you know, they're quite often successful and the, you know, the, the young learner will go on to have a great career, but there, there will be a, a proportion of, of youngsters who might sort of embark on an apprenticeship and, and have a different experience to the one, the one that they perceived in the first place. It is a bit of a lottery, isn't it? Because if, if a, a young person goes into an apprenticeship with um, obviously, there's the, the FE or the training organisation on the one side, then you've got the employer offering the, the, the sort of work experience running in conjunction with the, you know, the formal training. If they, if they have a not so great experience with the employer, and there can be numerous reasons behind that, I'm just wondering how many apprentices are actually put off by that very first experience, and it might not be any fault of their own. It might not be anything to do with the, the college or, or training organisation. Um, but kids, you know, they're, they're very impressionable at, at that age. And, um, you know, if they 
if they land with the wrong organ, you know, the wrong employer in the first place, that might well put them off persevering and, and you know, maybe, you know, revisiting this. But I, I, you know, what would your advice be on, on, on youngsters um, in that scenario where it is a bit of a the luck of the draw, isn't it? It's down to the the college or the you know the apprenticeship training company to place them with a you know a suitable employer but it, it's not without its pitfalls is it yeah so it's a really good point um i don't think it would be anything unique to our sector and actually when you see that apprenticeships aren't completed it may be that it just actually isn't a good match of sector rather than anything to do with a particular employer experience yeah you had i can remember there was a period of my life when I thought I wanted to be a biochemist and I spent the summer in a wet lab and yeah. I had a great time um, but mostly because I was living independently in London for the first time um, and it was very clear to me I did not want to be a wet lab biochemist research scientist and so for me actually it was a brilliant learning experience because I didn't I hadn't you know reached the a next level and committed to a PhD or an apprenticeship in that area yeah so um they'll always it, there's always the learning of have you made the right decision I don't think for me that was anything to do with the organization um but there are also other ways you can try and get just a little bit more of a sense of that connection beforehand and I mentioned work experience yeah and the organizations who invest a lot into their work experience and now or now you can be doing it with the T levels actually see a lot of conversion from students on those work experience programs and the T-levels into apprenticeships. And it really, you've tested the fit before you've embarked yeah. on, you know, this bigger commitment. It also is something where organizations that have made a real commitment around diversity have been able to target their support for work experience into schools in particular areas where they know that the demographic groups that they're really looking for are very well represented. And actually that's been a really good way to change the profile of their recruitment as well. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Um, so just looking at the, the range of vocational pathways, Hilary, you know, that there are apprenticeships, T-levels you mentioned, degree apprenticeships, lots of, of of choice both for businesses and uh, and youngsters there has been a big decline in the uptake of apprentices over the last few years um why is that that is an excellent question and that's what our inquiry is going to try and uncover because when we talk right. to different organizations and different people sometimes it feels like the apprenticeships aren't on offer um but other times it feels like the students are taking up the offer of the apprenticeships that's being made um and also are you know what are affecting both of those elements so we know that there are lots of changes around the, the introduction of the levy and um, that's being kind of um tweaked over time as it were we also had that massive impact of the pandemic yes. so whilst there has been an overall decline since 2014 actually there was a little uptick last year which is probably organizations trying to do a little bit of a bold recruitment counterbalance yep. contracted recruitment during the pandemic years um, but we really do want to understand that pattern more um, but particularly in engineering and manufacturing where we know the, the the decline has been pretty stark yeah yeah what, what are the current trends for t-levels and, and degree level apprenticeships hillary so degree level apprenticeships actually are going are going up. So they're on um, a, a more upward trajectory, just a very gentle upward trajectory. Now, what's interesting is actually 
when you look at what's happening in the apprenticeship, there isn't, it, there's lots of things interacting. So the, a lot of the decline is in the lower level apprenticeships and in the uptake of young people. So a lot of yeah. those apprenticeships are being used to reskill or upskill people already in the workforce, which is obviously something that needs doing and we really want to happen. Yeah. But we also must make sure we have the opportunities for young people to enter the workforce. They really need it for their own life chances but we need it for the long-term growth in the workforce. So that's the apprenticeships bit. T-levels, well, <laughs> it's a bit of a cheat, but T-levels are going up and up and up, and that's because they're just in the roll-up phase at the yeah. moment. Yeah. So um, the, the digital ones have been out a little while. The engineering and manufacturing ones are now being um, rolled out, and we'll start to get data on their uptake over the coming years. Um, they're, they're a really interesting opportunity. So T-levels are the a new technical pathway, vocational pathway, that is post-16, and act a single T level acts as an equivalent to three A levels, yeah. and it is primarily intended to lead you on to apprenticeships or into the workforce. But actually, you can move from a T level over into a university pathway. So they really have been designed with parity of esteem in mind. Yeah. Um, but they have this forty-five day work placement, um, but one that we really are concerned about the capacity to deliver mm. and making sure employers understand the extent to which they will become a dependence upon them to ensure that the people that they would be expecting to recruit through the vocational routes have had those opportunities yes. uh, in you know the six form years as it were it, it's just going to be so important so that the t-levels are rising at the moment we're in the very early stages of rollout we don't need that many placements but we must make sure that their ability to grow isn't constrained by the amount of placements on offer and and there needs to be a lot of growth because the yeah. government is you know planning for them to be the primary vocational post-16 pathway and to defund a lot of the BTECs that were in that space. Yes. And by our estimates, could be looking for between 30,000 and 43,500 work placements within the next few years. So there really is a need for organisations to attend to this yeah. very significant change in the education system. Wow, that's pretty big numbers. Yeah, it's in, really in, term, in terms of the 45-day um work experience or on on the job you know work at at the at the employer how is that sort of split up or is it in a block or how, do, how does that work yeah, it is pretty flexible and actually i think it will you know it's still um it, obviously all the t levels have been piloted but they're still very early rollout stages so i think there would still opportunities for increased flexibility if there are particular things that aren't working in particular areas. And yeah. we've talked with governments a lot about, you know, uh, the use of simulation and, and virtual for particular high-risk environment working in the, the okay. manufacturing and the engineering sector. Um, but you can, it doesn't, there isn't um, a single way in which to deliver it. Um, you would be working obviously really closely with the college or school who is delivering the T-level to um, work out the best mode of delivery. Um, but also there are lots of organisations trying to support businesses to do that. And the Royal mm. Academy of Engineering, for example, is kind of doing some grab and go or project frameworks or skeletons to really 
make it just as easy or frictionless as I think we'd now say for employers to get engaged. Yeah. yeah. And there's been a, a gradual increase in the in the percentage of females entering engineering and manufacturing over the last few years, which is great. Um, but the overall picture is still one of, you know, it's a real challenge, isn't it, when it comes to diversity and and getting more more females into the industry. I mean, I, I was reading somewhere the other day, um, the, the 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 stats were were really encouraging in terms of the uh, the results that that females are getting. You know, I, I think they were just ahead of the the male um, demographic in terms of the the, the results. And uh, you know, why, why can't we get more females into into industry? I mean, it's it's a it's a historical thing. I I guess it, you know, going back. Uh, you know, sort of 60, 100 years, it, you know, the, the men went out to work, the women stayed home, you know, but it's just so outdated in this in, in this current world we live in. And, um, you know, there, there are females doing great work in in these in these industries, you know, manufacturing, engineering, a lot of the new leaders coming through, you know, there, there were, you know, increases in in female leadership, not nearly where it needs to be, you know, for the diversity stats to be where they need to be but um you know it's just bewildering you know we've got a we've got a skills shortage obviously the eu a lot of the eu workers went back home with with brexit unfortunately and um you know we've we've got this big gap you know what what do we need to do to encourage more 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 females into the industry i mean that's that's breaking the whole talent pipeline down even further isn't it yeah, and it's interesting. You covered so many things there. I mean, that movement. You, I was looking at the data yesterday on engineering and higher education, and you see that the EU-based students in the UK have got a better percentage of female than the UK mm. domiciled or you know the UK-based um, students. So uh, actually, not only we losing people to overseas, or, or it's harder for people to come from overseas, but also we've kind of taken a bit of probably a diversity hit on that as well. Yeah, um, it's a really long-standing cultural and societal issue that it turns out is a really particularly sticky one. So some of the some sectors have managed to get a greater pace of change in this than we have. We um, have increased, so the percentage of women in the engineering tech workforce, by our estimates, went up about 6% and is now okay. at 16.5% over an 11-year period. So there is change, um, but most of that change is occurring not in the core engineering disciplines or people with those really core skills. Yeah. Uh, so there's still a lot of shift. And I think there, again, is a bit of a critical mass issue actually it can be quite hard being in the minority you're not seeing the role models you're not seeing how people like you progress and the more that we get women up the system the i hope <laughs> that you start to build a bit of momentum for yeah. the women to come in and it's also really interesting to see where where do, where are we losing them as it were so actually you're quite right women if you look at um universities um, I don't have the data for apprenticeships, but for universities, um, women outperform their male colleagues in terms of degree classes so that many more of them get firsts. Yeah. To me, that says, actually, 
well, all the women who should be getting seconds can a great degree. <laughs> right? yeah, I have to know. Um, but they should, um, where are they? And the one, the women who are coming through are the ones who feel very sure in their academic abilities or are required to be performing perhaps at a higher level to, to mm-hmm. get into the system and to get through the system. Um, whereas actually, it should, it should, there should be a whole um, bulk of women going and coming up to two. So there's a, um, and yeah. with two ones and two twos, second class degrees. So there's a real gap there. Um, but once they've got the degrees, they go into the workforce in the first 15 months at a very similar rate to men. So then you start looking at the step below. Um, and it's that it's we don't get good rates starting apprenticeships and starting those degrees and actually there's very poor conversion from maths and physics a levels into engineering and tech for girls as compared with boys so we just recently published some data it's really interesting actually um we were looking at the numbers of students who take maths or physics a level or maths and physics right and um, there are more young men that do that than women, um, but it's not so out of whack, as it were. So you've got yeah. about 56,000 men who take that combination and 37,000 women. So actually, if they progress to equal rates, it would be in a very different situation. Yeah. Yeah. But in fact, the, the men in that cohort progress into engineering at a rate of about 23%. Whereas the women progress at a rate of about 8%. And I think really, so obviously we want more women taking um, maths and physics A-levels if they're going through that academic route into um, engineering. But it's also that conversion at Mm. 18. What's happening? What what are their intentions when they start with those subjects? How can we encourage more of them to progress in a similar pattern to the way that men do? And we did a little bit of... um, if we kept that progression rate at the same level, we would actually need 150,000 girls studying or young women studying wow. A-levels in maths and or physics to have the same entering universities as men, um, which is 115,000 more than there are at the moment. So you could just get to see, gosh, these are this is a really big difference. But, but... Yeah. But the benefit, the potential benefit is so huge in terms of how that workforce would be truly representative of society, would be truly responsive or much more responsive to societal needs. Um, And actually, it could just eliminate those workforce shortages. If women were in the engineering and tech workforce at the same rate as men, there would be 1.8 million more people in that workforce. Sounds like that. Now that sounds like a great country to live in. I have to say. Yeah, I know. I love. I do this little thought experiment every now and then. And it you know, that's solve. focusing on women. They're the most underrepresented groups. Yeah. But we still need to do more to improve the inclusion of people from ethnic minority backgrounds, disabled people, yeah. people from socioeconomically disadvantaged backgrounds. They are underrepresented, but the scale of underrepresentation is not as big. Absolutely. And I, I, I was speaking last year to the Association of Black and Ethnic Minority Engineers, oh, yeah. um, Ollie Falayan and his sister Nikkei. Um, and, you know, I, I was just staggered by the the percentages. I can't remember the stat that Ollie shared with me at the time, but, you know, the, the, the amount of 
black and ethnic minority engineers that actually get a degree and then struggle to even get into industry in the UK is absolutely bewildering. It, it's such a tiny, tiny percentage. Um, you know, we, we, we're all banging on about the skills shortage in this country, you know, but we've got, uh, you know, hundreds of engineers coming out of universities from, uh, you know, the black and ethnic minority, you know, demographs that, that are struggling to, to get into businesses. It's just... It's just ridiculous, but um, you know, from from the the, the female perspective, I, I think so. Just to 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 sort of recap, nailing the the conversion issue is 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 going to be really key. Is, is that what you're saying? That the yeah, I mean, so it isn't just when we think about it a lot. Um, we're looking at where where does this problem come from? And if you just look at it at the university level, it obviously comes a lot earlier than that. Yes. But actually, I guess what I'm saying is at every point you need to improve the numbers going through, but also the conversion at the next the next point, as it were. Yeah. And, the, and that difference, I think, at the kind of 18 decision point is a really significant one. Now, it could be the minds are made up at 16. That's what we can do. Well, one is to continue to explore the data and um, also look underneath it with a bit more, you know, qualitative and the survey work to understand what's driving those decision making. Um, and right. there is still opportunity. There is still a need to make sure that those pathways are properly offered to all students and particularly students, for example, in all girls schools are getting the right information and the right opportunities yeah. um, for progression. But also when we're working with young people to make sure We've been very clear about the desire to include that diverse workforce and we're using role models that they can relate to. Yeah. And also when we when we're engineering when you came and we're designing and co-creating and running engagement activities with young people, we're always testing whether they've actually worked and how they've landed with different groups. And we find that we have to put a lot of work to actually get the young women as engaged as the young men or the girls as the boys in the activities that we are running. So yeah. actually the ones that were done historically don't have the appeal. And you can see, well, that explains why we were in a bit of a vicious circle because all the people yeah. who were engineers who were drawn to it because of this particular thing, say it might be a rocket. I'm not, I'm not saying it is rockets, but supposing the rockets got me into engineering so I'm going to take the rockets into school and actually just keep appealing to the same groups of people whereas yeah. other groups of people may be much more engaged by you know mitigating climate change or um, improving food resilience in low middle income countries or yeah. other great global challenges that engineers work work on um, actually making sure we're using the ones that are going to engage those groups we particularly want to be thinking about these careers yeah Absolutely. I guess the younger generation as well are, are, um, are more uh, sort of in tune with a, a lot of the things that are going on in the world, you know, uh, you know, with, with the with the young generation now. And, but engineering, you know, affects everything. So whatever, whatever the, the social or geographical um, topics are that mean the most to, to youngsters at the moment, engineering can be a huge or have a huge impact on those issues so you know there's there's a huge reason for, for for youngsters to you know to consider a career in engineering you know if, if they want to you know help 
you know, food production or medicines or, you know, impact climate change, you know, engineering is a huge um, route into into the solutions, isn't it? Yeah, and that's where actually really being led by the young people. So without going in and necessarily thinking, I want to tell them about this particular area of work, which is really important and I love it, actually finding out what their interests are mm. and showing how pretty much everyone, I imagine, you would be able to link in to work in engineering, manufacturing technology. Yeah. Um, and that, and that, you know, keeping it really relevant is a way to have more successful engagement with young people. Yeah. Well, I think there's a piece of work to be done there, perhaps with, um, you know, getting the, the teachers at schools equipped to have yeah. those early stage conversations, you know, because they're, they're trained to deliver curriculum, aren't they? They're not necessarily trained to spark that um, you know, or create that spark in, in the early years in, in terms of how engineering or manufacturing can, can impact the, the interests of, of the children. So, uh, you know, I think teachers do get a bad rap and, I, you know, I'm not always a fan of, of how our, you know, the kids are at school to learn things, but I think that they're also there to prepare the kids for their next phase. And that is after education, it's getting into the workplace. So, yeah. I think there's a there's a missing link there. I know it's being looked at, but um, schools, you know, as I will say, a bit of continuous improvement is, is a good thing. So I, I remember speaking to you a few weeks ago, Hillary, when we when we first met on on Zoom, and at the time you you told me about the real need for for government to have an industrial strategy, which we you know a lot of us on LinkedIn have you know in in manufacturing and engineering have been banging on about, um, but also a a specific STEM skills strategy. So could you tell me a little bit more about what you'd like to see included in these strategies? Yeah, so I would say this only become more important as actually one of the critical departments in this area base has been split into two departments. Um, so hopefully strengthening the overall, you know, weight of government in those areas and the ability to negotiate for them at um, cabinet but with actually departments of science innovation technology we now have energy security and net zero and then actually business and trade yeah they need to be brought together really coherently to make sure that they are well connected and and um benefiting from each other's support because they will have really uh a, a, critical mutual dependencies as it were yes. and that's where actually an overarching strategy will be so important to identify the areas of growth and show how government can give business confidence to invest in certain areas and create the environment to do so but one of the bits of that environment is the skills needs and what we often will see is there's a strategy developed in a particular area, mm. um, but at, which you know might be say net zero, um, but the ability to deliver it and its dependency upon skills um, just not really articulated and thought through and fed into the education system. So it's yeah. really bringing DFE into um, linking it into that kind of industrial strategy. Yeah. And at the moment, there are lots of different parts of government looking at what their future skills needs are. And there's actually a unit for future skills that also looks at that. 
within the Department for Education. And I very much hope that we're able to hone in the light of the government's ambitions and context of support where those skills needs are going to be growing, um, yeah. where they might be on decline, and we need to be looking at reskilling and upskilling those workforces. But we know that there is going to be a need for a real growth in the skills and then actually feeding that into the education system. So I, working out, you know, doing what we'd say backcasting, actually, if we need 100,000 coming through in this area by then, what does that look like over yeah. the next five years in secondary schools, in FE, in higher education, in apprenticeships? We know what we actually need to see happening and then start to build strategies to make it happen. And at the moment, we really don't have um, that connectivity or, or really knowledge of what our, our outcomes for, you know, this many skills needed for net zero mean for earlier in the education system. So we've got yeah. no idea if we're on track. I'm pretty certain we are not on track. <laughs> but there really needs to be a, a coherent strategy in this area. Yeah. So lot, lots of work to be done. It's very early days with with this this shakeup in in the government departments, yeah. and uh, I guess there'll be people crying out for more traction quicker. Um, but these things do take time. You know, there's a lot of frustrated people out there. You know, it's a difficult economy. You know, but manufacturing and engineering is is it, you know it's proven again to be resilient. Um, you know, we're we're probably going to have a, a another tough year, but there's lots of opportunity. Um, but these things do take time, don't they? It's um, and that's it's that mid ground of working out what needs to happen at what rate and and how, and then you know actually people on the you know on, on the ground in engineering and manufacturing seeing the you know seeing the actual the, the tangible benefits from you know from the new setup. It's going to take time. Yeah, and there is there's all the thinking that needs to be done, but there is also a mindset around Absolutely. actually being prepared to shape the education system in order to achieve workforce outcomes that are essential for you know the global challenges in particular climate change and yeah. UK prosperity and resilience and all of those things and at the moment we let a bit of the FE system be responsive like that and we've got some areas um you know the um training in of medics medics and healthcare and nurses and such like are much more responsive in that way but yeah. actually i think we need to be prepared to to be clearer about what is needed and to make sure that the system is set up and motivated to deliver it and and i'm thinking about the education system but there's also the career system yeah. making sure that the careers advice is actually really clear about where the opportunities are and where that workforce is needed and and the societal benefit of actually the roles that would be taken up in those areas as well as the individual you know pleasure and value and all of those things yeah and at the moment actually there isn't this kind of um need for it to respond to the system level so i think there's the careers education system as much as the actual engineering and science and maths education system yeah. and you talked about the teachers and it is interesting because actually that responsibility for who is telling young people about these careers 
really sits in the careers area, but practically the teachers are the second greatest influence of young people. Yeah. So the, next to parents. So actually maybe there is the need for a bit of a reality check there. And it's, you can keep trying to say, well, they should be talking to the careers people about the careers. But if in fact that's never going to be how it works out, is there a better way we can get the teaching and careers education system interacting more effectively? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, um, so Engineering UK as an organisation, um, you know, you've got various members. Um, looking on the website, you know, you're involved in a lot of really good work, you know, supported by, you know, a lot of organisations. Um, what what are the types of members that you have? You know, is there a, a, a sort of typical size of business or type of business? How, how do they get involved and, you know, how can they contribute and, and ultimately benefit from, uh, from, from getting involved with Engineering UK? Yeah, so we, we would love to have as much representation from across engineering, manufacturing and tech as possible. So we are yeah. open to all comers, as it were, and we have SMEs um, all the way up to the very largest multinational corporates. Um, and different sorts of organizations we work with as well. Um, if they're joining us as a member, they are, they're supporting us. So they're helping to fund some of our core work and it may be our yeah. research and analysis and policy work, um, but will also be um, probably working with us on other activities that we do like um, Big Bang program and things like that. Um, and then we in turn support them with the development and delivery of their STEM strategy. So, you know, understanding what their goals are, whether it's just about bringing in more numbers or whether they've got a real focus on a particular target group, whether they want yep. to work locally or nationally and helping them in developing how they are going to meet their needs, as it were. Um, so we've got about 35 corporate members and we also have all of the professional engineering institutions and the way that we're constituted are our members. And okay. those are the organizations that we have, you know, those very rich relationships with. We also have a much kind of lighter touch way in which um, organizations can, can work with us, um, which is through the Tomorrow's Engineers Code. Yeah. And organizations that fund or design or deliver STEM engagement, and it, actually, it has to be engineering, it has to have engineering and tech content. Yes. Um, for schools, we ask them to sign up and make pledges around um, collaborating together more effectively. So sharing their learnings, evaluating what's working, thinking more about their targeting and how to deliver their activities more inclusively. And it's really creating a learning community and we'll provide resources and we'll provide opportunities for networking and conferences, um, but it really is that community supporting uh, itself or each other. Yeah. Um, and we have 250 organizations signed up to that in just over two years. So it's it's really quite thriving and going. active. Yeah. So there are different ways in which you can get involved with us. So please do just come and have a look. That would be just the Tomorrow's Engineers Code or going onto the main Engineering UK website to understand how we work with our members. Brilliant. And just, just to give a mention then, so this is www.engineeringuk.com is your main Perfect. website and there'll be details on there. So I was going to ask you about tomorrow's engineers week. You've got a few things going on throughout the year. You've, you mentioned the Big Bang 
there, I think. He's, he's yeah. uh, in maybe in Birmingham, where I live, I think. Um, so do you want to sort of tell the audience what is tomorrow's Engineers Week? Who's it for? When is it? Where? Where is it? Um, what, what's on the agenda? Yes, yeah, so tomorrow's Engineers Week. We hold in November every year, and it's starting on Monday the 6th of November this year. And okay. we provide a whole load of kind of resources and stimulus for organisations to share lots of activity on social media about their careers role models, the sorts of opportunities there are in their in their workplace, in their sector. And there's often a lot of outreach going into schools at that time themed around tomorrow's Engineers Week. And yep. it, the week before is also This Is Engineering Day, which is led by the Royal Academy of Engineering, um, which is kind of more all-encompassing. So that isn't as focused on the school's engagement as tomorrow's Engineers Week. And um, we're just looking at our activities at the moment. Actually, we think we're probably going to do quite a lot on all the different routes that are into engineering and including that really important new T-level week. Yeah. Um, so that's November. But if you can't wait until November, we also <laughs> have the Big Bang Fair. And I yeah. didn't realise you were in Birmingham, so we might actually be able to meet in real three dimensions, not just over Zoom. That would be great, Yes, Jeff. that would be brilliant. I, I will... Uh, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not on holiday until July, I think. So uh, if I can certainly get away okay. from the get away from the desk for a few hours, it's only up well, the let's road. Let's try and get you in there as a roaming reporter. Or something. Yes, so I'll, <laughs> I'll make a firm commitment to that. We'll have a, a chat <laughs> offline about that. So, uh, so, so that's June 21st to 23rd okay. in the NEC, and we have this great show floor with exhibitors from across, and this one is actually across STEM. And we yep. found, but really making sure we've got great engineering and tech and manufacturing content. But by making it across STEM, what often happens is a school will bring a whole class or classes or maybe a whole year group. And so it isn't just the ones when they say, oh, who would like to go and find out more about engineering careers? Yeah. And they put their hands up. So we get all the people who are already quite likely to go into engineering careers. This way, they tend to bring everyone, including some people who may not have particularly put their hands up to go, um, but who really, it's just such a great range of activities yeah. um, that are shown to them that it opens their eyes to the possibility of careers in those areas. Yeah. And so we're looking for exhibitors. Still got some space on the show floor. Um, so if anyone would like to exhibit, we are hoping to bring 33,000 young people through wow. the fair. Um, over those three days so it's a great way to have impact and lots of exhibitors bring um, their apprentices or their recent recruits and they're really they get a lot out of it as well they love yeah. giving back and they love talking with the young people and um, presenting getting a bit of development as well and then around the fair we also have loads of opportunities just for volunteers so if you're in an organization that isn't or can't exhibit for whatever reason, actually you could still as an individual come along and support as a volunteer um, yep. in the fair itself or as one of the judges of the Big Bang competition, which will also be finishing at the same time. It's a very exciting time of year. Brilliant. Brilliant. And what's the, can you just give us the dates uh, for yeah. the, the Big Bang Fair, please? So it's June the 21st to the 23rd, and it's at the NEC in Birmingham. Brilliant. You heard it here. Okay, <laughs> so uh, I'll look forward to coming along to that. I will uh, I will definitely attend and uh, it'll be fascinating to see what's going on. 
So that pretty much wraps up today's episode, um, Hilary. Um, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. Fascinating discussion. I hope the listeners have uh, found lots of value in today's episode. Um, thanks again to Hilary Levers, uh, CEO at Engineering UK. Thank you for listening and look out for the next episode of Insights Manufacturing. See you next time and bye-bye.